1: Remember what you said, you return that I might live in my father's house.
2: The task seems impossible. Why? Because they're always critical no matter what you've done. You can, you know, just bend over backwards. and then, Nevertheless, they're going to still be critical, but they're going to still be harsh with you. And yes, you know, that kind of response, Receiving that kind of response is irritating, can also be discouraging, you know, gets you to the place where you just want to bail and give up. But we must ever be mindful of God's high calling upon us. And what is that high calling? To be a witness for Christ at that workplace.
0: Does your boss at work drive you crazy? For many of us, it can feel like no matter how hard we try, we just can't do anything good enough for them. And in today's message, Pastor Mike will remind you that even though our bosses can be frustrating, we're called to be an example in the workplace. If you blow up on your boss and are disrespectful, what does that communicate to your coworkers about Christians? We're ambassadors of Christ, and how we act and treat others is a testimony of God in our lives. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of 1 Peter chapter 2 as he continues his message, A Christian's Relationship to Government.
2: You know, oh, to God that, you know, that people would be able to say that about us, that we have filled our cities with the doctrine of Jesus Christ. Wherever we go, wherever we we move, you know, that we might be able to share Christ uh, in our sphere of uh, influence, at our places of employment, in schools, that we would fill our cities with the doctrine of uh, Christ. And then they went on uh, to indict them and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, and this is, the again, responding uh, the way that all of us should respond, the certain limitations, prohibitions, and the way that we relate uh, to government. Who are we ought to obey? God rather than a man. So there you have it. That's it. Obedience to him must supersede our allegiance to others. And then also notice there in verse 16, let's go back to our text now in 1 Peter. Peter declares of us as Christians that we are free. And listen, we're talking about liberties now in this section. The Christian's most precious freedom and liberty is his deliverance from a sin and sin's power. In John's Gospel in chapter 8, in verse 36, there we are told, Jesus said, if the Son should make you free, you shall be free indeed. So of far greater importance than the freedom a democracy offers is the freedom experienced when our sins are forgiven by God and the believer is united by faith to the living Christ. Listen, if we have received Jesus as our Lord, truly we are free. But notice there in verse 16, go back to our text now, we are never to use our liberty, our freedom, for a cloak of maliciousness. You see, Christian liberty is not to be used as an excuse to commit uh, evil. You know, uh, Paul addresses this in the book of Romans in chapter 6, when there he uh, says, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And then he answers his own question. He says, God forbid. And so although that we are free, remember now, we are the servants, the bond servants of God. And seeing how that we are the servants of God, we are under certain obligations. And what are those obligations? Well, Peter mentions them here in our text, notice there in verse uh, 17. And they are for Fold. Let's go, let's go digging a little bit deeper. First of all, we are told, notice there in verse 17, we are expected to honor all men. Now, what does that look like? Well, that is believers should be known for their kindness, for their works of charity. We are to look out for the needs of our neighbor. And then the second obligation, notice there in verse 17, we are to love the brotherhood you know, this reminds me of what is recorded for us by Paul in the book of Galatians in chapter 6 and verse 10 along these same lines, when he says, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. In other words, we are to be involved, intensely concerned about the needs of other people particularly those of the household of faith. We are to love the brotherhood. And then the third obligation that's listed here for us in verse 17, we are to fear God. That is, we are to respect Him with a reverential awe. And how are we to do that? Well, simply, we are to allow Him to possess our hearts, surrendering our will, our all to Him. And then the fourth and final obligation that's mentioned here, we are to honor the king. And how are we to honor the king? Well, particularly in relationship to our text, the exhortation. Well, basically, let us never in the slightest measure shirk our responsibility to exalt Jesus through good citizenship. So that's what it's all about, and these are the several ways that we are to relate to government. Let's pick up now in verse 18 of chapter 2, and there we read, servants, or employees if you like, be submissive to your masters, or your employers, your boss, with all fear, more accurately with respect, not only to the good and gentle, you know, those who watch out for us and take good care of us, but also to the harsh, or the difficult, bosses or employers. For this is commendable, If because of conscience towards God, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully, for what credit is it if when you are beaten for your faults or dealt with harshly, I don't think you're going to be beaten at your place of employment, you take it patiently, but when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. In other words, it's attractive before God. That is, if you're blameless. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps, the ultimate example, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who when he was reviled did not revile in return, when he suffered he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously, he didn't trade evil for evil, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree that is the cross, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Okay, so here, Peter, in this section of his epistle, directs our attention to the Christian's proper attitude towards his employer and the workplace. And I want you to notice there, notice in verse 18, go back to our text, Submission is the key word there. Verse 18, he says, servants, be submissive to your masters. Now, this reference to servants does not only include slaves, which during the time in which Peter wrote this epistle was commonplace. At this time, there were millions of slaves throughout the Roman Empire. So anyway, uh, these exhortations are relevant to all free working men and women, not only slaves. So this would include, like for example, tradesmen, doctors, teachers, etc. And so now this proper respect exhortation here as employers, we're to properly respect our employers, uh the things that he wants to accomplish there at uh our work uh place. Uh yes, it is binding upon employees, but it is also Just as binding upon employers. You know, in another book of the Bible, in the book of uh, Colossians, for example, Paul is addressing those employers, and he tells us there in Colossians chapter 4 and verse 1 Masters or employers, give unto your servants, employees, that which is just and equal, knowing that you have a master in uh, heaven. So these exhortations are also binding on both employees as well as employers. That is the way that we treat one another fairly. Uh, But nevertheless, employees have rights that are not to be taken advantage of. And that's the subject uh, that we're treating here uh, in part, at least, this evening. But getting back to us, employees emphasizing the duties uh, here, Peter is emphasizing the duties of the Christian employee, their proper respect, once again, as is recorded there for us in verse 18. Now, notice there in verse 18, the mention of the harsh. In your King James Version of the Bible, he uses the word froward. So, either one of those translations would be a good translation. The froward, or hard, harsh, or the difficult, you know, difficult to uh, please the difficult to get along with we're talking about your employer now that's the guy no matter how hard you strive to please them the task seems impossible why because they're always critical no matter what you've done you can you know just bend over backwards and then nevertheless they're going to still be critical but they're going to still be harsh with you and yes you know that kind of response receiving that kind of response is irritating can also be discouraging you know gets you to the place where you just want to bail and give up But we must ever be mindful of God's high calling upon us. And what is that high calling? To be a witness for Christ at that workplace. Because you're never going to win a person like that by quitting or getting another job. We are to exemplify Jesus under all conditions. Not living for ourselves, but rather living for Him. And I want you to think about this. Throw this into the mix. How can any of us be critical of our bosses, the company who hired us, when it was God who put us there in the first place? You know, go back to the days just prior to your actually working for that company, being employed by that company, when you were going through the uh, process of uh, reviewing, and uh, you prayed, Oh God, please you know, give me favor with these people, and, and God, you know how much I really need this job to just provide for my family. You were petitioning God through prayer, and guess what? God responded, and He gave you that uh, job. So we need to see it as exactly that. You know, He could have prevented you from getting that job, but He didn't. So we must have a plan and a purpose for you being there. And what is that plan and purpose? To be His witness, to exemplify Jesus Christ at your workplace. So therefore, do we have any right to complain, to be a chronic grumbler, we as believers need to be more concerned about reforming ourselves than being critical of other people. So if things aren't right at the office, you know, criticizing your employer or the company policies will not remedy the situation. We can't stoop to the influence of the sinful nature, which would want us to complain and grumble and be unsatisfied. You know, I believe Christians can be too critical. We need to face up to it, and that is the very reason why there's so much recorded for us in the Bible that treats this particular subject, that says a lot about being a grumbler, a complainer, never satisfied, being too judgmental about other people. Like, for example, let me give you a couple of cross-references. In Matthew's Gospel in chapter 7, in verses 1 through 3, Jesus himself said, judge not That you be not judged, for with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye, the two by four? Let me give you another cross-reference for this. In the book of Romans, in chapter 2, in verse 1, this is just two of many. Therefore you are inexcusable, O man. Whoever you are who judge... For in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself, for you judge, practice the same uh, things. Okay, so just two cross-references that treat this particular subject among uh, many. But someone may be thinking at this point and say, Pastor, you don't understand. That's my gift. That's my talent. The ability of picking out other people's weaknesses and mistakes and telling them how to improve. Well, listen, let me tell you what you can do with that talent that you believe that you have. Go and do as the man that's recorded for us in Matthew's Gospel in chapter 25 did, and he buried his talent. Listen, don't, we don't need that kind of a thing around here at Harvest Christian Fellowship. We don't need complainers. We don't need people judging one another. Let me ask you a question. Why is it that most assemblies of believers, and, and you know what, over the years, we've been now a part of this ministry for how many years now? 37 years or so. And at different times, there were people exactly like this in our fellowship. We dealt with them, and they're no longer here, thank God. There'll probably be some come in the future, and we'll have to deal with them once again. But why is it in most assemblies of believers there are those who feel that they are proud possessors of this useless, injurious talent. And so anyway, may God deliver us from this vicious sin that destroys our effectiveness for Jesus Christ. Don't be critical. Don't be a complainer. Don't always judge. Now, frequently, while trying to do our best to please the harsh and the froward, that is our employers, our bosses, And yes, you'll be misunderstood. You'll become the target for sarcasm and false allegations. I mean, what should a believer do in such cases? Should we fall back and begin to pity ourselves? Pout? Get another job? Retaliate? No. According to our text, notice in verses 19 and 20, we are to endure patiently. Let's go back and read those two verses once again. For this is commendable, if because of conscience towards God, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. For what credit is it, if when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable or attractive before God. Listen, gang, there is no merit in patience under the fire of criticism when we are at fault. But in our hearts, when we know that we are right with the Lord, that we're doing everything that we possibly can do you know, to honor God in our employment, doing His will, we should not be disturbed by thoughtless critics. And this is the beauty of it. As long as we are seeking to please God, we have nothing to fear. And so, never strike back. Always turn the other cheek. And we're reminded to do that in Matthew's Gospel in chapter 5, on Christ's Sermon on the Mount, verse 44. There we are told, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them who despitefully use and persecute you. And listen, I, I know that it's hard to do that, you know there are times when the, the the old man wants to jump up on the throne of our lives once again to get even to retaliate to trade evil for evil, but we mustn't do that. Remember, we need to exemplify Jesus Christ. You know, think about Jesus Himself. He was misunderstood. He was accused of being a drunkard, uh, a winebiber was the word that they used. He was uh, accused of being a deceiver. It was suggested that he was in leagues with the devil. So I guess that we should expect the same thing. Now, someone said, the only ones in the world who are not criticized are those who do nothing, say nothing, and as a result, are nothing. And so, gang, if you're seeking to bear a consistent, faithful testimony for Christ, you're going to be criticized. I guess we should just expect it. If you're concerned about the lost souls, and you want to reach them at your place of employment, you can be sure that you're going to be criticized. But nevertheless, don't trade evil for evil. Don't fight back. Don't lose your uh, temper. Don't become bitter. The key word, once again, is what? Is patience. Now, Peter goes on here in our text, and he points us to the ultimate example of this, who is Jesus Christ. Verse 23, let's read it again. Uh, who when he was reviled, did not revile in return. And when he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him, the Father, who judgeth righteously. So we're talking about Jesus here. And Peter points us to him as our example. But you say, hey, we're not Jesus. We're still in these human bodies. Uh, We're still human. And yes, that is true. But also remember, you've been born again of the Spirit of God. Unless you have all of the power that is available to us in Christ, at at your uh, uh, taking, available. Yes, we still possess traits of the old nature, the old man, but we are also partakers of the divine nature, which is indicated in Peter's second epistle in chapter 1 and verse 4, where there we are told we are partakers of the divine uh, nature. And because of this, it is possible to control our tongues, the words that spill out of our mouths. Notice there, Peter says in verse 22, neither was guile found in his mouth. You see, Jesus endured the cross without a complaint, without a murmur, without saying a word, not the slightest demonstration of hatred. In fact, in the last few moments of his life, he prayed, Father, forgive them. I mean, think about the way that he was just immersively treated, his body broken, and then nailed to the cross. And in the final moments of his life, he prayed to the Father, and he asked that the Father would forgive them, for they know not what they do. I also, uh, I'm thinking about the, the centurion, who was also there at the foot of the of the cross. When he saw the way that Jesus died, you know, without complaining, without murmuring, without trading evil uh, for evil. He responded by saying, truly, this is the Son of God. The the evidence was so overwhelming. Gang, that's our example. Oh, what trouble we cause when our tongues are not controlled. The injury, the regret, and that's the reason why the psalmist declares in the 141st Psalm in verse 3, in the form of a prayer, set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth keep watch over the door of my uh, lips. And then notice, let's go back to our text there in verse 21. We are told, Even here unto were you called. And so we have been placed under this obligation. That is the way that we are to respond correctly to our employers and at the workplace. This is an obligation, a responsibility that has been placed upon us by God Himself, and it's a serious obligation. And so may God grant that we may hold high the standard and exemplify Jesus, that we might demonstrate that spirit of forgiveness and love, that we we mustn't be critical or harsh or unkind or have a bad attitude. You say how? Well, simply let God
1: work in your heart. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's
0: house, where I long to be. Oh, my That's all we have time for on today's edition of In My Father's House. Thanks for joining us. Did you know that you can listen to Pastor Mike's teachings on your favorite podcast app? Just search for In My Father's House with Mike Fenizio. Be sure to subscribe and let us know you're a listener in the comments. We love seeing how God is using His Word in incredibly powerful ways. If you don't yet have a church to call home, we'd love for you to join us for worship this Sunday at Harvest Christian Fellowship. You can find all the information you need at harvestnyc.org. While you're there, you can reserve your seat by clicking on contact and then the register link. We're located in Midtown Manhattan, and there's easy access from Port Authority on 42nd and Penn Station on 34th. If you're not in the area or if you're unable to attend in person, we'd still like to have you be a part of our time studying God's Word. We're live streaming our services each week, and you can connect on our website. Again, that's harvestnyc.org. If you'd like to hear today's message again or to catch previous Sunday messages, click on the Resources tab. You can also watch services through our Vimeo link or connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. Links to all of these are available at our website. One more time, that's harvestnyc.org. As we wrap up our time with you today, we'd like to remind you just how much your Heavenly Father loves you. We also want you to know how grateful we are to have you as a part of our listening audience. Thanks again for joining us. We look forward to learning more from First Peter next time on In My Father's House. Where I love to be,
1: oh my heart, Not be troubled.